Welcome back to this special On the Sofa mini-series in which I'm exploring beginnings, middles and ends with author Dominic Nolan. In this episode, we'll be discussing middles, why the middle of a novel can be challenging for writers, what readers want from the middle and the tools that help authors deliver that. Hello, Dom. Thanks for joining me on the sofa again. Um, so let, let's start with this idea that middles can be a bit challenging for authors. And we hear bandied about quite often, don't we, that phrase saggy middle. Is, is yeah. the middle something you personally struggle with or, or is it something you, you feel you, you've got nailed? Well, I think the middle is a bit every writer struggles with. But that's because it's it's the meat, isn't it? I mean, you can your beginning and your ending seem a lot smaller in comparison to everything that comes in between them. Yeah. Um, and, and I think with middles, we're talking about two things largely the first thing we're talking about is character what we do with our characters after we've introduced them after we've got them in and got them going Mm. and secondly i think it's it's structure which might also be spoken about in terms of efficiency particularly with commercial or crime fiction Mm. Um, but i think those are the two the two main uh, challenges for writers in the middle of a book that's interesting because that's how you define a middle because for me I mean, you're almost saying the middle is the minute you've you've got you've got everybody introduced, you get going. But for me, the middle of a story is more when you get to that. Just talking about, I guess, the three act structure, the, the second act. So you've sort of you've you know you've introduced your your conflict. You, you know you've, you've had your catalyst moment. You've you've, you've um, introduced whatever the problem is for the protagonist, and they've now got to get solving or get adventuring or whatever it is. So for me. The middle comes later. It's almost you, you you work your way up to it. It's a kind of a cranking up of it, isn't it? Um, so it's interesting to hear you see it slightly differently. Yeah, well, but I mean, I think with with things like the three act structure, I mean, you can unpack that into a five or seven act structure, and, and then where do you say the middle starts? True. Um, I mean, you know, I think uh, in many ways the middle exists in both the beginning and the ending as well. I mean, these yes. are things that in a novel have to work. As gestalt, they have to work as one thing together. Um, so identifying them and identifying where the challenges come from yes. um, is, is almost a matter of semantics. In that, I think it, it largely comes down to the same, boils down to the same problems. Yeah, and why? I mean, let let's unpick a little bit why why it's difficult. Why why we have this so called saggy saggy middle? What's what is the challenge for readers? I mean, writers rather. Is it is it is it? Do you think? harder for writers possibly who I mean we talk about pantsing and plotting don't we I mean is, is it harder for the ones that are sort of just watching the story unfold on their in their heads and sort of writing it down as they see it do you think compared to somebody who's who's much more well, maybe in a in a first draft but um, I was talking recently um to James Oswald who's a, a writer who is a self-admitted pantser mm. but he told me that his first draft is his plotting process okay so yeah, I guess that the middle in that respect may end up being saggy or, or certainly not what the final thing would be. But that's because it's that's his process of, of working it out. But I think even if, if I mean, I, I plan a lot. Yeah, yeah I also. But I also, I don't plan in terms of, um, or at least consciously, I don't plan in terms of that kind of narrative arc. I don't think about act structures or, you know, exposition, complications, climax, whatever. Mm. Um, I usually think in, I mean, my... I think I mentioned this before, but my, my novels generally start from a feeling, like how I want the book to feel, mm. rather than specific uh, plot points or, or character. Right. Um, so it, it, I tend to build the plan up through detail um, yeah. of, of how I want incident to work. 
Okay. And and then as I'm writing it or moving along, I can massage the plot. So in in many ways, it's sort of a cross between planning and pantsing, but there is a, a, mm. a deep and long planning period before I actually sit down to draft it. And I guess the point you've made, particularly looking at James as well, is in a way at, at some point we are all plotters. I mean, even if it's that you're plotting, as you say, as you're yeah. writing your first draft. You just do it at a different time. You do I it mean, at a different time, re- yeah. Revising is sort of plotting by hindsight or retrospect, isn't it? I think that's right. And I mean, certainly for me, what I do is I have I have a very detailed plan, but as I write, it sort of evolves. So my sort of the analogy I, I use <laughs> to a point that probably I've used it so many times, everyone's like going to groan now when I say it. It's almost like I know I know where I'm going. I know the route I'm going to take, but I don't always know the pit stops along the way. So where I'm yeah. going to stop and admire the view, for example, that's during the, the point of writing that that'll come I, through for me. I mean, I mean, I think there's definitely a misconception that if, you, if you're a planner, if you plan a novel, you, you lose some kind of improvisation or, or the joy of spontaneity. But Planning and spontaneity aren't mutually exclusive. Um, I agree. Most because because the map is not the territory. So yes. even if you've got it plotted out exactly where you want to go, the yes. writing itself is, is is the joy of it. Now I think sometimes yeah, that's if you very interesting, isn't it? It's like if you're going. That's just just pause on that because you're absolutely right. And I've had this conversation many times. But I was talking to Lisa Jewell about it at the end of, um, on the sofa season one. And she was saying she couldn't understand people who did plan because is, isn't that then, and a lot of writers have said this to me, isn't that then boring when you're writing? And no, it's exactly so. what you said. So if you were, if a holiday was simply a matter of looking, you know, working out your itinerary, you'd say you've been on the holiday already and what's the point of going? Exactly. But it's the experiencing of this, isn't it, that actually brings it to life and, and same same with the writing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe this is a discussion, I think, that almost exclusively happens in commercial genre fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said a minute ago, structure can be spoken of in terms of efficiency. I think there's something there's a brilliant line in James Woods' How Fiction Works, mm. where he talks about what what modern writers, particularly genre writers, have taken from um, writers that may have existed, say pre, you know, pre modern commercial or genre writing, say before the war. Yeah. Um, and he says the efficiency of the thriller genre takes just what it needs from the must, much less efficient Flaubert or Isherwood and throws away what made those writers truly alive. Now, I think he's being harsh, because Wood's usually harsh on, on genre writing as a rule. But yes. he's got a point there that we start to forget that, you know, the, the skeleton isn't the meat. And you can, you can plan something out, but the joy can come from how you end up codifying that or manifesting that into an actual novel. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think it's unfair as well to say that we've taken all this sort of the landscape out of it so to speak i mean good crime novels absolutely don't do that you know there are some there are some oh, no, no, yeah yeah i mean yeah. he's one of those critics that um i respect is slightly snooty towards certain kinds of writer in the yeah. same book there's a sort of begrudging respect <laughs> for le carry in some of his writing but he almost had to squeeze it out of himself yes um, <laughs> hold his nose as he was writing it <laughs> yeah but but i think there's there's an element of truth in it in that at a sort of a, even an editorial level, there is this idea of not being superfluous and you're writing certain kinds of, of books, including yes. genre stuff, like this this pair it back to the bones thing, which which can work brilliantly, but mm. also with some writers doesn't. You know, there is this sort of, yeah. I don't know, playfulness or freedom that, that some writers require. Um, do you think it's about pairing it back or do you think it's about making every scene work, which is, or matter rather, which is, I, I think is important. And I, 
I think it's something that crime fiction does so well. I mean, there's no, so, I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm so rubbish. So how do you say superfluity? In crime, is it? I mean, it's all, I mean, good crime novels, ev- everything matters. And it's one of the things that makes it a joy to read because as, as readers, we're so often looking for clues. Of course. But then how do you decide what matters? I think, I think there can be yeah. sometimes um, yes. the belief that something only matters if it's directly progressing the plot forward as opposed to just being in the sandpit um i mean i've been fortunate enough to work with an editor that more or less lets me muck about and hand in you know hundred and thirty thousand word novels <laughs> and, and not get upset about it but that, that isn't always the case i mean a lot of a lot of writers will tell you they've handed novels in and have been told to cut you know 20 30 000 words out of them um yes. and, and who knows in certain you know that that obviously can make um a book better but i think this automatic belief that Mm. removing things will make it better it isn't always true it's um, about the story we're telling isn't it at the end of the day i mean if you yeah. if you compare our two books i mean vine street is is a huge mass, massive world building so you need all those extra details so you talk about it being long but it has to be to create that world whereas my novel yeah. Truly deeply is off it's obviously a very different sort of book and well, it, certainly they're, they're peopled in different ways they're i mean you different know the ways. cast exactly. of characters in vine street is, is extraordinary but um yeah, and, and you have to spend that time. At the beginning, I said it's you know it's about structure. It's also about character. You have to use the space in the middle to give your characters agency. Yes. What essentially you're doing here. Yes, and actually that's something that comes out. We'll talk about Frank Mode um, a bit later on in the episode, but that's something he says, and I think James Wood says as well, which is of course exactly that: the, the plot is the character and how how they're experiencing what's happening to them. Without character, he's Frank says you you have no you have no story, which is obvious, isn't it? But yeah, and certainly the way I, I've um, often approached detective fiction is that mm. the detective is investigating themselves as yes. much as they're investigating whatever. And they, that's the, what makes it so case. interesting. Which, yeah, yeah, which is why we're interested in the character. It's not just a random. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Let Let's just just zero in a little bit more because I'm I'm curious, and I, and then we'll sort of we'll we'll talk about maybe about the tools. Um, that can help us i mean i certainly find them very helpful but again why why is the middle difficult the beginnings are never difficult i think we're all maybe i'm talking generality here but i certainly am always excited by a blank page and i'm excited by launching into my idea and the end i often know the end before before i've even put pen to paper you know i know the two um so the middle i suppose the middle's got to do a lot more work hasn't it The, the opening we talked about last week is about hooking your reader getting the character in um, setting out setting out your premise and the end is not necessarily wrapping it up neatly and tying it with a bow but it's it's drawing the different elements together but it's the middle isn't it that has to do the work in the novel possibly yeah I think a lot of this is I mean, I'm not sure how much readers think about this if, if the novel is successful I think it's something writers think about logistically and psychologically while they're doing it like being in the middle is is a place you can feel stuck maybe because you get to a certain point where you can't really see the beginning or the end. You know, it's a bit like crossing the desert and seeing nothing but horizon. Mm. At some point, even if you know which direction you're heading in and the compass is not lying to you, mm. it can be tricky when you can't see either where you've come from or where you're going. So you're literally um, lost in the middle of the of, of the forest or the or the desert, as you say. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and that, that can be an understandable reaction from a, as far as the writer's concerned. Um, particularly maybe if you are plotting as as part of your first draft process. Mm. Um, because you've got less idea of where you're going so mm. um which is why i think perhaps writers that write like that write very quickly 
yes get through it so that then you've you 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 sort of don't have that lost feeling for very long um, so you almost maintain getting the momentum so that you can just power through almost yeah yeah and, and i think this i mean we mentioned um frank commode and and one of the, i mean he was a british critic a literary critic who wrote a great many books about specific writers but his key text was the sense of an ending yes where he linked how people um essentially consider themselves to be born in the middle of things yes. in media res so you, you see the beginning of some past that came before you which is mm-hmm. often viewed overly nostalgically but you, yes. you see it as some kind of golden age and yeah. you always see the ending as sort of barreling towards you uh, like yeah. a catastrophe yes but every generation thinks this yes. so to that extent we've been being born in the middle for you know four thousand years and the ending's been coming for just as long um, yes. he uses the phrase that the ending isn't imminent it's uh immanent i.e it's, it's always with us but never quite here um yes. and i think the, the way writers write the novel can be like that you, you you get stuck in the middle which is kind of like the place where humans are where they try and make sense of their lives i mean we, we mm. use beginnings and endings to create a concord with the middle in order to establish some kind of meaning um or importance of mm. our own existence mm. um and to that extent, the way we do that naturally in life is reflected, mm. I think, just generally in the way we tell stories. And he uh, says that, doesn't he? He says the story mm. is is the um, like the condensation, isn't it, of life? It has to have that similar sort of structure, yeah. which is interesting. And actually, yeah, and he quotes this, um, this lovely quote here from um, the physician who I'm going to pronounce wrong, Alcmaon, who... Um, Alcmaon, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, and, and this is something, Frank, Camus talks about in in his um, essay as well, and he says, with the agreement of Aristotle, what he said is, men die because they can't join the beginning and the end. So this idea of this needing to make sense of things, and yeah. and, and, and what we do in a novel is we step outside of that time that we experience yes. in life, yes, um, because we need to make sense of the whole thing. You need to have structure, so mm. which is where the the tricky middle comes because you you can't just write the middle as sort of as you said like with the holiday it's not just an itinerary of events it's not just yes. succession one thing after another you need to have some kind of idea of where it's going and giving it some kind of context even if you're pantsing and, and supposedly making a story up on the fly mm-hmm. um it's eventually going to require you to step outside both beyond the beginning and beyond the end in order mm-hmm. to tie the whole thing together yeah and that's that's satisfying obviously when it's on do you do you, I mean, talking about, again, just from the writer's perspective, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I use, there's a, there are all sorts of books, aren't there? Um, I personally love the Save the Cat box, which is by Blake mm-hmm. Snyder. And he, he wrote, um, he wrote one for screenplays, I think, and one for novels. And funnily enough, I always use the screenplay one just to sit better for me. But for me, I don't find the middle difficult because it's so, using that as a, almost the first roadmap, I find it really, really helpful to understand this, you know, where the sort of the, well, maybe it is the arcs. I'm not sure. I, I'm sort of, I've never done one of those sort of big creative writing courses, so I don't understand properly the, the meaning of all those different expressions. But I understand the beats. He calls them beats of the novel. So where mm. you have, um, you, you come up to your midpoint and it looks like everything's going one way and then it has to flip either, you know, positively or negatively. And then you have, you know, the various different things. And I personally find that structure hugely helpful, just even in the beginning stages of of planning the story. And I think it's one of the things that almost 
as you were saying, you almost do it naturally. So when I've written short stories, it's something that I've I've done really without thinking, but actually looking back on them, they are a very condensed version of, of that. But for the novels, I do it very consciously and I'm, I'm saying, okay, well, here's, here's the fun and games element and now here's the midpoint. Here's the bit where it all turns. Here's the bit where the bad guys close in. Yeah. Whatever, you know, so, so I had, a, you know, as you know, a series um, of novels which was set around, you know, a profiler, so very sort of action, action-based and that obviously fits very well. But even Truly Darkly Deeply, which is much more psychological and it's, it's sort of, I mean, you know, you've read the book, but it's, you know, questioning is, is this character's um, father figure, is he a serial killer? What, you know, wasn't he a serial killer? Have they locked up the wrong guy? Blah, blah, blah. Which is less obviously action, still fits really well around that structure. For me, it's, it's been hugely helpful. Do you, yeah. do you is, that, is that something you, you okay, don't do that though, do you? Don't use those I, the, the books aren't something I've read, like, like those particular ones, like almost the sort of instruction manual ones. Mm. Um, but I was thinking about this when, when we talked about doing this this episode, and I was thinking about some of the um, the original basis for those instruction novels, and, and one of them was um, Gustav Freytag's Pyramid, which is from mm. his Technique of the Drama, which was written in the middle of the 19th century, yes. which is essentially a five-act structure, but he, he structures it as a pyramid, so starting right. at the bottom, exposition, climbing with complications, peaking at a climax in the middle, then yeah. falling action, leading into catastrophe. And, I mean, right. this is specifically for... Uh, drama and I imagine he was thinking about Jacobean drama as much as anything else yes um but I was thinking about that in terms of my own novel After Dark which I had planned in terms of incident and character but but hadn't consciously considered you know acts or inciting incidents or, or whatever yeah but when I then looked at how I'd structured the novel it's it struck it's set in um across two timelines that are four years mm-hmm. apart so mm. the, the first, say, two-thirds of the novel flick between the two. And mm. there's a, a prologue and then there's six sections. So, so the sections, the first four sections alternate um, between timelines and then the last two are in the same, in the present day. Mm. But when I broke it down, the novels, it's 433 pages. Mm. So the dead centre of it, the climax in, in Freytag's Pyramid, will be mm. page 217. Mm. Now, the whole novel, as it moves between the two timelines, the future hints at an event that's happened in the past a catastrophic event with serious consequences for the main character that mm. the past timeline leads up to that mm. catastrophic event happens on page 215 wow which is essentially the heart of the novel and it happens in the middle of a sequence uh, which yeah. is an extended action scene a, a heist of, well, it's actually livestock wrestling um yeah. which stretches between page 201 and 229 Again, almost exactly the middle thirty pages Isn't of the that novel. Interesting, and you did that, that instinctively. That wasn't yeah. planned in any any kind of way. Yeah. And, you know, you just sit down and. So I wonder if there is an element where a storyteller, you know, you innate, you know, you read enough, you get a sense of the way a story is structured. And well, this is what I was thinking. I mean, yeah, there's, there's there's two ideas. I mean, either simply by spending a lifetime, you know, watching films, reading books, whatever you you sublimate these narrative structures into your own thinking and they materialize yeah. without you realizing yes or that whole level of thinking is backwards and what's actually happening is that kind of organizing of events and of ideas is natural and innate to all of us and therefore <sighs> things like the three-act structure we're not conscious inventions but are codifications of how we already process information and process the world around us and this is something um <laughs> david mamet wrote about the playwright 
Mm. Um, he wrote a novel called uh, he wrote a novel. He wrote a, a book about writing, not not an instruction manual, just sort of a yeah. book about his thoughts on writing. Called yes. three three uses of the knife. And there's a line in that where he says, "Dramatic structure is not an arbitrary or even conscious invention. It's an organic codification of the human mechanism for ordering information. Yes. Events, elaboration, denouement, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Boy yes. meets girl. Boy loses girl. Boy gets girl. Act one. Act two." Act three. This is the yeah. way we make sense of yes. both our lives as individuals, but also as our our place in history. Yeah, all kind of takes on that kind of arc. Like, I mean, this this is a thing that occurs in in most cultures, I think, um, and certainly in our culture, Western sort of modern culture that's that's come from our own uh, dramas from the sort of medieval times onwards. Um, yeah. And and I just think it's it's a reflection of of who and what we are as as humans, as much as some kind of um, artistic invention that we've come up with. And it probably works through art because it reflects who we are yeah. as humans. And, and these ideas are popular with us because they resonate with things we already know, even if we don't recognise we know them, or even if we haven't mm. fully articulated them to ourselves. The minute we see these things written in these books, you know, mm. this is how you should structure a story. It's kind of already, it's, it's, it's like, it's teaching us to suck eggs already. I mean, we, we know but this it's stuff. it's codifying something, isn't it? It's yeah, not it's just laying it out for us. Yeah, yeah. which is why I particularly like this, this Blake Schneider book. I mean, it's as you were saying, it's something that I found myself doing organically anyway in short story writing, but somehow just to have it as a template almost a, or a touchstone. Am I doing this right here? Yes. Okay, well, what, what should happen here? I think I know, but yes, that's right. It's almost, I, I drive to school. I have my kids go to school miles away and I take the same boring route every single day, every now and then with a slight but I put Apple Maps on every single time just to reassure me and it's almost that isn't it as well there's reassurance just having having for me anyway just I'm taking you know not taking the boxes but putting the beats in the right places I guess yeah I think certainly for writers who plan then an additional sort of because your plan can be some kind of tether just so you mm. don't wander off um, yes yes exactly. and, and you, you still can wander off I mean you can get halfway through your plan and decide you know, I've, I've mapped that out all wrong. I don't want to go there anymore. I want to go somewhere Absolutely, else. Absolutely, which is great. But even in the writing, I mean, isn't isn't that what we're saying about pit stops on the way? You know, it's only through the process of writing that you realise actually, hang on, this character would would do such and such here or that one yeah. would react there or yeah. you need to pause it. And you only get that sense of where you... And certainly, yeah. even as a planner, I find a lot of my finer plotting happens yes. like that. Like once you've yes. got into it... Um, yes, Absolutely, once you're so, swimming in it, you need to yeah. swim in it to be able to, yeah, to do it properly. Otherwise, you only get the sense of where you're going. Yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely right. Um, and what about let's sort of wind sort of up on on this level. So we've looked at it from the writer's perspective. What about from a reader's perspective? I think it's almost self-explanatory from what we said, possibly what readers want from the middle. But often, yeah, I mean, again, I think I think readers recognize that plot structure or, or rather they don't recognize it consciously but mm. successful stories yes all tend to follow them so something uh, that a reader will like you will usually be able to break down into that into that uh, kind of way um i mean I, I remember seeing um i mean even even storytellers who think they are experimental and maybe mm. in, in some form yeah generally you'll be able to look at the narrative they've created um, yeah. Even like somebody like Alan Resnay, who say whose films, you know, chronologically jump around all over the place and appear non-linear, but yeah. the drama isn't non-linear. Yes, you still require the, the heart, the conflicts at the heart of the film. Yeah, it's, it's to you make have sense to understand of, what they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. 
Yeah. I wonder as well, I mean, I don't know if you have this, but but it's happened to me often. I'll, I'll read a book and it's the premise is set up really, really well. I mean, I'm interested and excited. And the, the writer is obviously interested and excited as well by the story they're telling. But you feel as you're reading it, they've lost their way in the middle. And there's a there's a sense, of, there can be a sense of floundering. And I think for a reader, with my reader's hat on, that can be terribly frustrating because I think you need to always feel confident that the writer is taking you by the hand and you can just relax and be guided through the woods by them. And the minute you feel that actually they've slightly lost control maybe of where they're going, you almost, as the reader, you don't feel panicky exactly, but it's, it certainly stops the enjoyment. Yeah. You don't want I mean, to carry I mean, on with that writing. Bad writing, essentially, isn't it? I mean, I, I think, to be honest, most writers would know whether that was happening. I, I can't believe somebody would write something that readers well, can't I've read, get I'm sure you have as well really read enough where that happens. And it's, it's you know... Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I, you know... Uh, Books that just don't quite deliver on a concept, for example. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked about that before. That yes. The idea may overshadow the actual writing you're doing later on with it, which is always a shame if the idea is good. Yes, um, exactly. The idea in itself isn't enough if the story isn't there to back it up. No, but the idea itself can often be enough to sell the book, which well, very interesting. is, is so a I've, different and longer discussion. But um, Well, it's a discussion I've had, actually. Thing. So I've just, um, just for listeners, in case they haven't, in case they haven't listened to this one yet. So um, uh, do, do, do scroll back because I've got two high concept panels with uh, Sophie Hanna, JP Delaney and Gillian McAllister uh, talking about exactly this and, and, and high concept selling and, and picking you up off, off slush piles often just because the concept is so interesting. Um, and it was such a big subject, Dom, that we ended up doing two episodes on it. So, um, I, mean, I think it's a major part of, of certainly commercial literature today mm, that mm. there is an element maybe of the tail wagging the dog yes, when it comes to publishers so. seeing that I can, no matter whether it's well written or not, I can sell that idea. I mean, yeah. this happens on television as well. I mean, Netflix yeah. seemed to me to specialise in sort of six out of ten quality shows. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. but they yeah. know how to sell an idea. And they're not overly bothered about whether they make a great show out of it or not, because people are going to binge it in, you know, one or two nights and nobody's going to remember anything about it six months later. I think that's yeah. right. And it's about what stories you'll be telling. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, there's, there's, there's one other thing. Let's, let's sort of wind up on this point, actually, because I thought this was this was quite interesting. But again, going back to, to Frank Mode and what he was talking about. And he said, of course, the Bible is our, is our first story, yes. in inverted commas, which has a beginning of middle of an end. And. Um, you're, you're probably more religious than me, Don, but he talks about, what is it, uh, Genesis is, is the clear beginning. And, well, you've got um, Genesis and Revelation, yeah. Yeah, exactly, depending on what you believe in, is absolutely. And it's you've got these, but he talks about Apocalypse, is, is it, it's the last um, book of the New Testament, but it's literally, it's very it's very much a begin, beginning and an end, but how the, the story completely ties in with the beginning and the end. And that's what, of course, Good Middle has to do. It's got to... Yeah, and, and in many ways, the you know, that's sort of the original novel isn't it and, and, and it isn't even that's a novel. what i mean it's yeah a collection exactly. of writings by various writers spread over several thousand story. years but it's, it's the first big story that's being told yeah. and, and the, the middle of you know the in between genesis and revelation which is you know all of the rest of the old testament and all of the rest of the new testament mm. there is i mean perhaps because it is actually trying to codify in some respects a religious ideology but mm. there is an attempt to to harmonize the beginning and the end Yes, exactly. Um, Dom, this is brilliant. Thank you so much for coming back on the sofa. And we've, of course, got um, our final episode, um, which we'll be airing next, which is on endings, uh, twists, killer twists. Do we need killer twists? How much killer twists sell a book? 
yes. last lines that we've enjoyed and do we remember them as well as first lines and of course what makes a satisfying ending so please do join us again <laughs> <laughs>